Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast. I'm your host, Rick Cole, and each week I take you on a trip down memory lane back 50 years where we talk about all the hockey and sports news that took place at that time. This week, we're looking at September 20th to 26th, 1970. Our podcast is made possible by the support of our two sponsors. Newspapers.com is the world's largest online newspaper archive, and without them, we couldn't put this podcast on. They allow us access to all the newspapers from back 50 years ago, and that lets us get the news items that we present each week. We're also sponsored by the Breakwall Brewing Company in beautiful downtown Port Coburn, Ontario. The folks at the Breakwall produce outstanding craft beers, many of which are from recipes that were crafted in the late 1800s in the first breweries that were located in Port Colvern. They also serve the best pub food on the planet and when the pandemic uh, eases off and things get somewhat back to normal, I'd love to meet any of our followers and listeners at the break wall for a burger and a beer. We'd like to also remind you about our new Patreon account. Uh, this is a project whereby uh, listeners can contribute to uh, the expenses that uh, we incur by doing this podcast. And in return, we'll be producing a lot of special content about subjects that were of great interest back then and continue to be uh, of interest to hockey fans 50 years later. It's patreon.com slash hockey 50 years if you'd like to contribute and we would appreciate that very, very much. Last week was a pretty interesting week as uh, training camps continued in the National Hockey League in 1970. Uh, Bruins defenseman Ted Green talked about how he's feeling about his uh, attempted comeback to the NHL after missing a year with that fractured skull. Uh, We got some good insight into what uh, Ted was feeling as he got onto the ice for the first time. We had some great insight from Windsor Star sports editor Jack Dolmage, who talked about what might really be going on with the Detroit Red Wings and how the Ned Harkness hiring actually provides some clues about the direction of that Detroit franchise. Would it be a good direction? Time would only tell, but Jack really hinted that things may not be all rosy in Red Wing land. We also saw last week more examples on the way Alan Eagleson does business and how there were red flags back in the fall of 1970 that very few of us saw as warnings of what the Eagle was really up to and just how dangerous this man was to both players and hockey in general back then. This week, we've got a lot more hockey news to talk about. Uh, The NHL training camps are now in full swing. Exhibition games are being played and contracts are being signed. Lots of player news as well. More Alan Eagleson news this week. We'll tell you all about that. Bobby Orr has an injury and it's not his knee. We have the details. And Dave Keon, the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, doesn't see any easy resolution to his contract stalemate. So he's going to walk out of the Maple Leaf training camp. And there's a lot of news on other players who have not yet signed their National Hockey League 1970-71 contracts as well. And we're going to have all that for you. Lots more going on. And we have all the big stories. 
First up this week, uh, we have a lot of player movement that started to take place. This happens every year. Training camp, as things start to sort themselves out, players move, trades are made, promotions, demotions. Uh, We'll have more of the notable ones from this week. First up, uh, Gene Ubriaco, one of hockey's really good guys back 50 years ago. Uh, He finally got an NHL shot thanks to the 1967 expansion. Gene called it quits this week, told the Chicago Blackhawks he was retiring. Uh, He's taking on the role of assistant coach of the varsity hockey team at Lake Superior State College in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. Gene is also enrolling in the college as a student, take a number of classes as he works towards a degree. Donnie Marshall of the Buffalo Sabres, a fine National Hockey League veteran who was picked third by the Sabres in last June's expansion draft, left the team this week and returned home to Montreal to ponder his future. Don just couldn't see himself playing for an expansion team, just starting up all over again at this point in his life. And he's thinking things over. He may just want to retire. Hockey reporters in both New York and Buffalo uh, published stories this week that said the Sabres and the New York Rangers were trying to arrange a deal whereby Donnie Marshall would return to the Rangers where he spent so many fine years. There was reports that a young center by the name of Don Luce had, was mentioned as a possible return for Buffalo. It's known that Punch Imlac likes Don Luce, saw a lot of him when he played junior hockey in Ontario. Luce is uh, right now a player who probably could make an NHL roster, just not the Rangers. Luce could be traded at any time, Buffalo would be a great destination for Don Luce. The Sabres, by the way, sent a couple of young forwards already to the Western Hockey League Salt Lake City Golden Eagles. They are Joe Robertson and Jake Rathwell, neither of whom really figured in the Sabres' plans for this season. Uh, The Sabres had an agreement when they signed their working agreement with Salt Lake City that they would send at least two young players to the Golden Eagles. And those are probably only the first of quite a few that will spend the season in Salt Lake given the Sabres don't have any other high-level farm clubs in the American or Western Hockey League. Chicago Blackhawks, who invited only 36 players to their training camp, already cut nine early this week. Uh, they sent uh, uh, these nine players to the Central Hockey League Dallas Farm Club, and uh, that's being held in St. Catharines, Ontario. Going to Dallas are left-wingers Danny Maloney and Michelle Archambault, centers Terry Caffrey and Dave Hudson, right-winger Miroslav Gojanovic, he's a Czech, Goalies Jim Shaw and Joe Malash and defensemen Daryl Maggs and John Marks, who actually made the opening roster for the Blackhawks' first exhibition game. All of these players are subject to immediate recall and could find themselves back in the main training camp before too much time goes along if they show well in St. Catharines. You will remember in a previous podcast and on our Twitter account over the last few years, Cornell University in New York State was one of the best, probably the best NCAA college hockey team. 
One of their big stars was a fellow by the name of Dave Ferguson from Toronto, Ontario. Well, the Detroit Red Wings signed him to a professional contract this week, but they immediately assigned him to the American Hockey League, Baltimore Clippers, but Dave will work there trying to get himself back to the NHL. We have a little bit of news out of the Minnesota North Stars training camp this week, and it isn't good news at all. The team is very disenchanted with the performance of young center Jude Druin, the leading scorer and rookie of the year in the American Hockey League last season. He was acquired this summer from the Montreal Canadiens in that complicated trade that sent Bobby Russo and others to Minnesota. Well, the North Stars have been so unhappy with his work in training camp. They have demoted him to their B squad, which is basically the Cleveland Barons American Hockey League team. They are not using Jude in exhibition games. Now, Druin's not happy in Minnesota, according to reports, and that there are uh, whispers that Druin has requested a trade. That's not a good move for a raw rookie. Here, General Manager Ren Blair had only this to say, and this is not a quote a rookie wants to hear. Ren Blair says, quote, he has a terrible attitude. We'll have to stay tuned to see just what happens with Jude Druin. Uh, This is a kid with abundant talent, but if he thinks he's just all that, there's not much chance he's going to be staying in the National Hockey League. He may never, ever get there as a regular. The expansion Vancouver Canucks have their training camp going on in Calgary, Alberta, and they continue to make progress toward opening night and their first NHL games. This week, they assigned goalies Serge Aubrey and Lynn Zimmerman to the American Hockey League Rochester Americans. While they haven't moved them out, the Canucks had made a move with star rookie Dale Talon, who you remember was their first draft pick in last June's amateur draft right behind Gilbert Perot of the Buffalo Sabres. Well, Talon has been moved from center to left wing, and it's believed That's the position in which his future lies. Chief scout for the Canucks, Peanuts O'Flaherty, has said from the beginning that Talon should be a left winger, not a defenseman, and not a center. Talon right now is playing on a line with a couple of veterans, Ray Cullen and Murray Hall. And one other note from the Canucks training camp. Uh, They have signed a fellow by the name of Bobby Walton. That's Mike Walton's brother. He was a free agent, and he's going to start the year at the American Hockey League, Rochester Americans as well. Two of the most highly touted rookies in the Oakland Seals training camp were forwards Don O'Donohue and Chris Odlifson. O'Donohue has been around the Oakland uh, organization for a couple of years and Chris Odlison was drafted in the first round by the Seals in June. This week the Seals sent both of those players to their American Hockey League Providence farm team but coach Fred Glover told them that if the attitude and the work ethic improved they might find themselves back in the Seals camp but no promises were being made. Also sent to Providence but with no real chance of coming back to the Seals' main camp, were goalie Jack Gilroy, defenseman Neil Nicholson, center Alton White, and a left winger by the name of Barry Bugner.
And in the St. Louis Blues training camp, here's a, yet another story of young players not being in shape and ready to play. The Blues have loaned forwards Jim Lorenz and Steve Atkinson to the Kansas City Blues of the Central League. Apparently, neither players in proper shape and general manager Scotty Bowman said they can work with the minor leaguers until he feels they're ready for NHL-level competition. The Blues traded a first-round pick to the Bruins last June to get Jim Lorenz, and Steve Atkinson is another player who was also in the Boston organization for a while. Is this something with uh, players leaving the Boston organization not being in shape? Or is it just a couple of young guys really not uh, completely contemplating how much work it's going to take to play in the NHL in 1970? We'll soon see. These guys are good kids, and hopefully they'll be back. One of the more popular players on the Maple Leafs team last season was backup goalie Marv Edwards. He served as the understudy to Glenn Hall, but uh, had a knee injury last year that limited his playing time. Well, this week in training camp, Marv was giving it it all, knowing he was in tough to try and beat out either of Jacques Plante or Bruce Gamble for a net-minding position with the Maple Leafs. That full-out effort, unfortunately, wasn't enough for the little guy. He was sent out by the Leafs on Friday to the Phoenix Roadrunners of the Western Hockey League. Phoenix is up training camp is actually in Maple Leaf Gardens with the Maple Leafs so uh, Marv just had to move down the hall to the room that they are using and really when you think of it there are a lot worse places that Marv Edwards could have ended up Phoenix is not bad and he expressed some satisfaction that the Maple Leafs send him at least to a place that he feels will be pleasant to live in all winter Going along with Marv Edwards to the Phoenix Roadrunners is a young center by the name of Doug Acomb. Doug was a very highly touted uh, high-scoring junior with the Toronto Marlboros. Just hasn't seemed to be able to advance enough to make the NHL uh, caliber of play. But Phoenix in the Western Hockey League seems to be a good place where Doug may develop some major league skills. We'll see what happens with Doug Acomb as well. Canadians shifted a number of players to the American Hockey League Montreal Voyagers camp. Uh, moving out to the American League uh, training group will be first round draft pick Chuck Lefley, center Fran Huck, formerly of the Canadian national team, forwards Bobby Sheehan, Rajon Uhl, Guy Chiron, and Phil Roberto. All very highly thought of rookies that were given a good chance to make the Canadians given how they missed the playoffs last season. But right now their play hasn't been good enough and it looks like they'll be starting the season in the American Hockey League. That's a bit of a surprise for Leftley, whom the Canadians feel was really one of the guys they were counting on to shore up either the left or right wing with the Montreal club. This next item isn't a player move, but I think it's one uh, Canadian hockey fans will want to know about anyway. With Ted Darling moving from Hockey Night in Canada from the CBC to Buffalo as the voice of the expansion Sabres, the Hockey Night in Canada folks had to find a new host for the uh, intermissions of their Saturday night games. Brian McFarlane, who acted as a color commentator on a lot of the Hockey Night in Canada broadcasts, 
becomes the new intermission host, and I'm sure Brian will add his uh, flair for trivia, the facts, and features to what already are very good intermissions on the Saturday Night Hockey broadcast. Welcome to Brian McFarlane to Hockey Night in Canada. And one other move that is not a player move, the National Hockey League officiating staff added a new member this week when Alan Glassbell of Whitby, Ontario was hired as a linesman and a student referee. Let's just hope that he learns from the few good referees that are out there and not the overwhelming group of uh, less than competent officials that seem to dot the NHL landscape these years. There are, of course, the obligatory trade rumors floating around National Hockey League training camps this week. This always happens in the fall as teams find out that players making good showings give them an excess of talent or they find out that they are thin in some very critical positions. One rumor that uh, was thought to be close to happening had the Los Angeles Kings trading right winger Bill Cowboy Flett to the Red Wings. No word on who the Red Wings would send back to Los Angeles, but there was talk that Big Peter Stemkowski has been shopped around the league. The Red Wings need a right winger to replace Gordie Howe, who in training camp, and it seems to be a fait accompli, will be playing defense for the Red Wings instead of right wing this season. There are reports out of Philadelphia that the Flyers are still interested in trading a goalkeeper. Uh, This rumor actually has been around since 1967, but it seemed to be gathering a little more steam this week. Uh, Folks uh, were reporting that the Flyers and Boston Bruins were closing in on a trade that would see Derek Sanderson go to Boston and defenseman Joe Watson end up back with the Bruins from whom the Flyers took him in the 1967 expansion draft. Ed Conrad, the fine hockey reporter of the Philadelphia Daily News, said that it would take a lot more than just Joe Watson to land Sanderson from the Bruins, and he actually wondered whether the Flyers had enough assets to give the Bruins to satisfy their requirements and still have a decent team to ice. But the Bruins uh, would like to get Joe Watson. He's one of Bobby Orr's best friends, and it seems like he would be a good fit back with the Bruins. As we mentioned, there's still a lot of people who believe the Flyers are going to trade a goalkeeper for much-needed forward scoring help. And for the first time in a long while, Bernie Prant's name has been mentioned as possible trade bait, but I think that's a stretch. But Prant's name comes up only because... His goaltending partner, Doug Favelle, reported to the Flyers training camp in Quebec City in absolutely outstanding condition this fall. He's fully recovered from that severed Achilles tendon from last season. And in the early Flyers scrimmages, Favelle has actually outshone Perrant and he could take over the number one goalkeeping job. I can tell you this. If the Flyers were to make Bernie Perron available, there will be any number of National Hockey League clubs that will make attempts to bring Bernie to their team. We do have some uh, exhibition 
news as well. That is um, news from the exhibition games. There were a lot of games played this week. Not many that would really grab any headlines, but there are a couple of uh, notable stories that we came across. The Red Wings took advantage of the new Buffalo Sabres playing their third game in three nights, the Sabres were, and the Red Wings pasted them by a 7-2 score in Port Huron, Michigan. The Red Wings had three two-goal scorers in that game. A couple of unfamiliar names, Alan Carlander and Freddie Speck, and of course veteran Frank Mahovlich notched a pair as well. And the Red Wings really need Big Frank to have a good year for them to be competitive. The Red Wings then played the very next night in Madison Square Garden against the New York Rangers. The Rangers are one of the teams that people are expecting to be right near the top of the standings this year, but they weren't this night as the Red Wings took a 5-2 decision right on Madison Square Garden ice. While the Red Wings are certainly looking like an improved hockey club under rookie coach Ned Harkness, we have to remember that the Rangers were without Brad Park, Jean Rattel, Vic Hadfield, and Walter Kachuk, all four still holding out for better contracts, and now all four have been suspended by Emil Francis. Of course, we'll have a lot more on that just a little later, but in this game, even with that advantage of having those four stars out of the Ranger lineup, the Red Wings look like an enthusiastic, hustling group under Harkness. Maybe this guy is the breath of fresh air that hockey in Detroit has needed for a while. Certainly looks in training camp like things are pretty enthusiastic. Gordie Howe played defense in both games for Detroit, looked very much at home in the new position. People were saying Gordie looked like a young rookie and how enthusiasm he's taken to playing back on the blue line. Canadians showed on Wednesday night that they are serious about this team. They were stacked up against the Blackhawks, Chicago Blackhawks, who are touted to be one of the best NHL teams this fall. Canadians edged the Hawks 4-3 to on Wednesday night thanks to a late winning goal scored by Bill Collins, or as Montreal fans affectionately know him, Bill who? Collins came to Montreal in the offseason during that complicated set of trades and transactions that saw Ted Harris, Jude Druin, and Bobby Russo join the Minnesota North Stars. And coming with Collins to Montreal was right winger Claude LaRose, who left Montreal in 1967 and came back to Montreal this summer. Last weekend, Bobby Orr jammed a wrist into the boards during an exhibition game and uh, things didn't look good at the time. He left the game. He did not uh, return. And the Bruins sent Bobby for x-rays, hoping that the damage was not particularly serious. Well, they got good news on uh, Sunday morning. X-rays were negative. No breaks, no cracks or other issues with the wrist other than some nasty bruising. And uh, the Bruins decided that they would hold the young superstar out of a few workouts and games, but that he would be back Good as good as new before the end of the week. Great news for the Bruins. Bobby Orr's had enough injury problems to deal with in his young NHL career. Okay, now here's a here's a story that really caused us to uh, wonder what the heck was going on in 1970. The executive director of the National Hockey League Players Association is Alan Eagleson. Eagleson, in an interview this week, said that National Hockey League players are asking 
for too much money in their salary demands this fall. Eagleson said public opinion, which got us where we are today, is swinging the other way. Some of the salary demands are getting way out of line. This is the head of a union going public to say that his membership is asking for money they don't deserve. Now, Eagleson was, of course, referring to the four New York Rangers holdouts, who, of course, are not clients of his, but rather are represented by one of his rivals, Pro Sports Incorporated of New York City. Another target of Eagleson's claim is Toronto Maple Leafs captain Davey Keon, who represents himself and is asking for $125,000 a year. He walked out of the Toronto training camp this week when the talks hit an impasse. Eagleson says that players must be more reasonable in their demands because public opinion is shifting away from the players because they want to be paid too much. Now, Eagleson defended telling Chicago Blackhawks goalie Tony Esposito that he was asking too much when the second-year netminder demanded $50,000 from the Blackhawks. Eagleson said that Esposito had had only one good NHL season as a rookie. Of course, Eagleson is quite close with Chicago owner Arthur Wirtz and that management team. And if uh, these players are not Eagleson clients, of course, he's going to be saying that their advisors are giving them bad advice. New York Rangers general manager Emil Francis had recently suggested that Eagleson be an arbiter for the salary disputes that cannot be resolved by teams and players themselves, namely the four New York stars that we've already mentioned. Of course, Francis realizes that Eagleson is in direct competition with the company that represents his four-star holdouts, but that conflict of interest doesn't seem very important right now, not at least to the employer, does it? The players would never go for Eagleson being an arbiter, would they? That would almost be like Clarence Campbell being an arbiter for the owners. And you know, he's going to have that role. It just looks like the NHL system is really being stacked against the players. And even their own union leader doesn't seem to have their best interests at heart. But in 1970, we didn't know that. Hindsight, of course, is twenty twenty, and we've got 50 years worth of evidence to show that Alan Eagleson wasn't the guy a lot of the players thought he was. By the way, later in the week, Francis relented and picked four other guys he feel would be ideal to be arbitrators in these contract disputes. The four are... Frank Selke Sr., the former and legendary general manager of the Montreal Canadiens. Con Smythe, another hockey legend as the former owner of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Al Leader and Ed Houston. Selke and Smythe, though, are hockey men from a bygone era, and they're not at all in touch with the realities of hockey and business in the 1970s. Of course, they would side with management in any dispute anyway. Same with Al Leader, a former president of the Western Hockey League, but he's been out of hockey for several years now as well. Smythe has said he could settle the beef between the Leafs and Davy Keon in just five minutes. Ed Houston, by the way, is an Ottawa lawyer who has been president of the Eastern Hockey League 
He's a big hockey guy as well, and we're not sure whose side he'd be on, but as president of the league, or a league, you can pretty well guess. Houston has also had whispers about his being in line for a judgeship at some time in the not-too-distant future. As this very eventful week wore on, uh, players these four players did not sign right away. The Rangers formally requested arbitration, and the group rejected the idea outright. They did maintain the thought that they are bargaining independently and not as a group. Steve Arnold, who's an executive with Pro Sports Inc., said all he wanted was an opportunity to sit down directly with Emil Francis and talk contract, and Francis refused to do so. He would not meet with these guys. He said they were not worth speaking with and would not negotiate with them. Francis presumably would talk to Alan Eagleson, and that tells you all you need to know, doesn't it? Later in the week, defenseman Brad Park was the first to break ranks with the group as he agreed to binding arbitration, and then he returned to training camp workouts. Curiously, Francis said the details of the arbitration had not yet been worked out, and we kind of wondered at the time what Pro Sports Inc. would think of this development, or if they'd even known about Brad's change of heart. Well, maybe they were in on it, and maybe they give Brad uh, some good advice. We learned on Saturday from Jim Proudfoot of the Toronto Star that Park's salary dispute will be arbitrated by NHL President Clarence Campbell, and it seems there's just no way to get around an arbitration without him being involved. But representing the players' interests as the arbitration committee is a fellow by the name of Bob Park. Bob Park is Brad Park's dad, and he will certainly look out for the best interests of his son. Only hours after Brad Park announced that he was reporting to camp, Walter Kachuk uh, agreed to a similar process. Campbell again will represent the NHL in the arbitration. Kitchener lawyer and Kachuk family friend Mervyn Villamare will sit in on behalf of Walt and again look after Walt's best interests as well. Next week we'll have even more news on on this case as uh, lots of developments take place over the next few days and we'll probably hear from the players next week as well. When Dave Keon left the Maple Leafs training camp, there were rumors of suspensions and all kinds of uh, sanctions the Leafs were going to place on him. Uh, here's what Al Eagleson had to say about this. And Eagleson doesn't sound much like an advocate for all the players, does he? Sounds like he only advocates for the players who pay him money. Eagleson said Dave Keon did not have to report to the Leafs training camp in the first place. But once he did, he is subject to all the rules of the training camp. If they say he has to eat breakfast at 8 a.m., he has to do that. If they say play an exhibition game, he has to do that. Now, if Davey had taken Eagle's advice, he'd be in better shape in his contract position, wouldn't he? Well, the Rangers suspended their four holdouts and refused to negotiate with their representatives, and we don't hear the NHLPA screaming bloody murder and coming to their defense, do we? The reason's obvious as we look back from 50 years in the future, but in 1970, what was happening then wasn't quite so apparent. While with the benefit of hindsight, we ask these questions now, it's pretty hard to find 
that que- those that were questioning Eagleson's motives back then. Except maybe for those good folks at Pro Sports Incorporated. And what of Davey Keon this week? As we mentioned, he walked out of the Leafs camp after his request for $125,000 a year salary was flatly rejected. Dave was very relaxed about the whole thing. And according to those who spoke to him, they said he really was just letting the process play out. Uh, There were even a couple of reporters that Dave sat down with informally. and, And he told them that he's just fine. Everything's going to work itself out. He simply said that the next move would have to be made by the team. General Manager Jim Gregory countered that. He said that he had made Dave the best offer he could and that there's no more money other than what he had offered Davey in his last offer. Gregory said that that offer to Keon was the best contract ever offered to any Toronto Maple Leaf player other than Tim Horton. You will remember that last fall, Tim was holding out and the Leafs paid him $80,000. This is uh, the best contract before that. So it's obvious the Leafs are offering their captain Dave Keon less than Tim Horton, whom they found it necessary to trade last March. Keon says he's planning on working out on his own until the agreement can be reached and he still feels it does, but he's not going to make the next call. By the end of the week, we learned that Dave's two business associates, Harry Neal and Mike Ellick, their partners uh, in the Dave Keon Billy Harris Hockey School, they were working out with Dave at a rink in Toronto and putting Dave through some pretty severe paces, we understand as well. Billy Harris, by the way, the other partner with Davey Keon in that hockey school, was attempting a comeback with the Pittsburgh Penguins, but the word is that wasn't going very well for Billy. You remember the debacle that took place at the end of last season with teams tied for playoff spots and how the tiebreakers worked? Well, the NHL decided they need to do a better better job of that. And this is kind of an indication of how the NHL does business in 1970. NHL President Clarence Campbell has a proposal to be tabled to the National Hockey League Board of Governors at a meeting to be held on October 7th. He wants to have the tiebreaker for teams tied in the standings, the records of the tied teams against each other during the regular season to be the determining factor. Seems like a pretty simple and worthwhile way of doing things. Well, this tells you just how seriously the NHL Board of Governors takes its governing role. Campbell made the same proposal at the governor's meeting in August and it was rejected outright. They didn't like it. Campbell then asked that the rule committee come up with a set of tiebreaker rules that would be better than his rejected proposal. As of now, Campbell has not received one suggested rule uh, rule change to be made by the governors. Of course they haven't. They are too busy managing their strings of polo ponies or costing out paint jobs for their yachts. Hockey? That's mostly an afterthought for these rich, old, mostly American white dudes. You know, I I wish we could talk more about the on-ice stuff this week, but what's going on off the rinks seems to be grabbing all the headlines. In this story, it's the Bruins' Derek Sanderson making news and not for his fine skating or his tenacious checking. The Turk apparently told the Bruins he's taken a few days off from training camp scrimmages and workouts 
because he's got something a lot more important to do. Sanderson, it seems, has agreed to appear in the full-length Canadian-made movie titled It Ain't Easy. Derek stars in the movie playing who else but himself in a plot that can be described best as pathetically weak. Derek left the Boston training camp for Montreal to participate in a press conference and a bunch of other promotional activities for the movies. You know, photo photo ops and all that stuff. It was first reported that Derek had been given permission to leave the London, Ontario Bruins training camp, but that was just an assumption by sports writers. No permission was actually given. And in defense of the host sports writers, no one would dream that a player, even a Derek Sanderson, would leave training camp and play something like this above the important preseason training. But that's exactly what Derek Sanderson did. He wasn't given permission to forego training. Derek had reported to training camp in good shape. And even though he still hadn't signed his 70-71 contract, by reporting to camp, as Al Eagleson pointed out with Dave Keon earlier, he's subject to all the rules, and the rules say you have to be in training camp. Sanderson said at a press conference that the two sides are still far apart in the contract, but reports that he's asking for $70,000 a year are close, but not completely accurate. Maybe he's asking for sixty-five. The Bruins took a stand on Thursday. They suspended Sanderson, and believe it or not, the Turk was shocked. Shocked, I tell ya. The Bruins press release gave no length of the suspension, said it was indeterminate, and provided as reason that he had not attended a required practice at the training camp in London. <laughs> well, Sanderson, the very next day, said that he only learned of the suspension from a Boston writer who told him about it and that the team had not told him of the action they were taking. Of course, Derek wasn't anywhere near the team, so they couldn't uh, go to his room at the hotel in London and inform him, could they? Sanderson defended missing the workout, saying he had tried to get a flight back to London, but he was surprised to find that all the flights had been booked from London to Montreal. He said he'd have to confer with his agent, Boston lawyer Bob Wolf, before deciding on his next steps. You think that in a matter like this, Derek Sanderson might have booked a two-way flight to Montreal and back to London? He booked a one-way flight? What was this guy thinking of? Or was he looking for a confrontation? More on this next week. And so, everybody, that is our show for this week. Another busy week in hockey, and the season is still not close to starting. What did we learn this time around? Well, we learned Bobby Orr had an injury, and it's not a knee, thank goodness. And it wasn't as serious as everyone at first thought it would be. The bruised wrist that Bobby had only kept him out for a few days and Bobby was going to be ready for another banner season. We learned a little more, actually a lot more, about how Alan Eagleson does business. The only problem was we didn't know what we were learning at the time. I do remember asking myself when I read these stories 50 years ago, 
whose side is this Eagleson guy on? I knew he was a politician and he would be speaking out of both sides of his mouth. But this seemed even a little obvious, didn't it? We should have been wondering a lot more about this in 1970, but we figured it was all just part of the show. We also learned this week that Derek Sanderson may just have a screwed set up of priorities when it comes to what's important to him. Derek's notoriety comes completely from his ability to play hockey and not from anything else. All the other stuff that comes along with Derek Sanderson is a result of him being a good hockey player. And if he's not going to take hockey seriously, you can bet that Derek's notoriety will fade like so many others have been in the past. Next week, we have some pretty interesting stuff going on. We have news of Gordy Howe. Gordy Howe, is it about his uh, playing defense? Is it about him switching back to right wing? No, we're going to talk about Gordy Howe signing a new contract with the Red Wings next week, and that is really good news. The Toronto Maple Leafs really don't look good for the 1970-71 season, but they have a young player in training camp who's actually showing flashes of brilliance, and we'll tell you all about this kid and whether he has a chance to make a name for himself in the NHL. And the same as this week, player contracts, those signing, those holding out, continue to dominate the news for the NHL in 1970 in training camp time. And we have a a story about a star player having contract difficulties, seeking help from the National Hockey League president, Clarence Campbell. I remember this happened once before back in the 60s when a defenseman by the name of Larry Hillman approached Clarence Campbell for contract help when he was having trouble with Punch Imlac. That did not end well for Larry, who was very unsatisfied with the process. We'll see what happens in this particular case. We'll have much, much more next week as well. The 50 Years Ago in Hockey podcast is produced by Andy Cole, and I cannot thank Andy enough for all the hard work he puts into this. Very popular Juno-nominated Toronto indie rock group, the Rural Alberta Advantage, provides our introduction and exit music. And if you ever get a chance to see these guys perform live, you have to take it in. They put on a wonderful, great high-energy show. Sound effects and other music in our podcast comes from Andy Cole as well. Our research comes from the files of the Toronto Star, Toronto Global Mail, and of course, the many publications found at our sponsor, newspapers.com. You can find us on Twitter at AdHockey50Years, on Facebook under 50 Years Ago in Hockey, and on our WordPress site, Hockey50YearsAgo.com. Of course, you can get us wherever you find your favorite podcast apps. And we're now on YouTube. And if you check out YouTube for 50 Years Ago in Hockey, you'll see a few clips that we post from each uh, podcast as well. We have some exciting new additions coming up. uh, Special content that will be available through our Patreon account. And we hope you'll consider donating to get access to that stuff. But don't worry. Even though we have a Patreon account, this Friday show will always be free in its present format. We thank you all for listening, and on that note, we will see you next time.